Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to season 10 of the One Broke Actress podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and I am smiling ear to ear because after months of recording and planning, it is all happening. We are pressing play on season 10. If you guys have never listened to this podcast before, freaking welcome. You picked a perfect season to start here. This is the ins and outs of actor life. This is some of the good, some of the bad, things you might not have expected. And you're going to get perspective from actors, directors, showrunners, writers. We're going all over the map this season, but we're also doing something special. A lot of the episodes this season are season 10 celebration repeat episodes. This means your previous guests have been on the podcast two, three, four, five years ago from when this podcast started. We are going to check in on them and see what they're up to now. What's changed? What stayed the same? What lessons they have learned since they recorded their first podcast? And what maybe they hit on in that podcast that's no longer true? What has changed in their career, in this business, and in themselves? And I am so excited because these episodes are freaking good. This business is not linear, and we all know that. We know the ups and downs, we know the ins and outs, but actually hearing it from people who are actively in the ups and downs, who are actively experiencing the changes as they experience them, that to me was always the goal of this podcast. This podcast season was not easy for me to record because in order to do it properly, I had to go back and listen to some of my first podcasts. That was hard. Some of the things I've said do not stand up. There are comments I've made or words I've said or word choices or things that I'm like, ooh, cringe, I did not like that. I would never say that now. But the fact that they exist and I've learned and we've all grown, that to me is what's been important, no matter how cringe-worthy it is for me to listen back to it. So I think we all have things to learn this season and I am excited to take you guys on this journey with me. If you want the full experience this season, I'm going to recommend you click on the link below in the show notes and join the One Broke Actress email list because every Monday of this podcast season, if it is a repeat guest, you are going to have an email in your inbox with a link to the original episode of this week's guest. That way you have a few days to listen to it. And then by the time the new podcast drops, you have the new episode as well. So you can listen back to back to what this guest said X amount of years ago, and how they feel now. This to me has been such a freaking learning lesson and invaluable information on this business and honestly on myself as an actor. So I highly recommend if you have not joined, join the email list, get the Monday notification of what episodes to listen to, kind of like your homework for the week, and then every Thursday the new episodes will drop. So get excited, get pumped, Welcome to season 10 of the One Broke Actress Podcast. My first guest this season is Eddie Liu. If you have been with us this whole time, you might remember in the pandemic when Eddie Liu was recording with us in the summer of 2020 with a partially finished pilot hanging out at home waiting to see if his show was going to get picked up. Now he is off to the races because this week, season three of Kung Fu on the CW is officially being released. So from one pilot to three seasons, he is going to take us through what it has taken to get there, the lessons he has learned, the expectations he had versus the life he is actually in, the pressures and the unexpected things that came up, and the little lessons he has learned along the way. If you would join me in kicking off season 10, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, our guest today, Eddie Liu. Hi, Sam. Hi, Eddie. Sir, when we talked, it was like middle of 2020. You had filmed two weeks, barely, of a pilot. It had still gotten picked up and you were in LA doing some kickboxing in a park, waiting to go figure out your life. Since then, you are now filming season three right now in Canada, and you were living in Canada. Is that right? That is all correct. Yeah. Does it sound cool when I say it out loud? 
It sounds kind of crazy, actually, because of like, I still feel like I'm mentally and emotionally at times still like frozen in certain pockets of time, including that time when we spoke in 2020. Hmm. There was a lot of time to, I, mean, I think I'm still processing some, I think, I think we all are to some extent, you know, but yeah, it sounds crazy, but like good crazy, you know, there's a lot of like, it happens a lot at work where my coworkers and I will look at each other and just kind of be like, wait, this is our job. Like, wait, we're, we're here, you know? And then we go back to like, no, wait, we're good at this. The ship is running smoothly. We know what we're doing now. It's cool. Like everything's great. Does it feel like a lifetime of change has passed since we last talked? Yes and no. Okay. There has been so much growth, so many growing pains. And to me, it's a lot like working out. I know that you and I both have like fitness backgrounds and you and I both know that just because you can hit the same weight and hit the same routine with the same intensity, like say two months ago, that doesn't mean that you're going to do it the same in two months from now. You could do it yesterday and that doesn't mean it's going to go as smoothly tomorrow either. And it's just a matter of just growing the muscles so that you can more often have a higher capacity to handle greater workloads, more detailed workloads, put out like consistent quality in whatever it is that you're doing, whatever level you're at. So you're saying an acting career is like a practice and not just a, we made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that. Damn it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Shit. I was really hoping that you'd just walk through the door and then you could find a couch and just sit down. But no. So you and I are both fans of Audrey Moore and she has this really great great analogy for this business, which is, you know, everybody thinks of it as a linear path. You get to the thing, it gets easier, it opens up for you, and then more opportunities just fall into your lap. And that's bullshit. Audrey compares it to a video game. You beat level one. Now you go to level two. Great. That is an accomplishment of itself. However, now you have to contend with everything that comes with level two and three and higher and higher. So things get harder. You have to learn more. You have to learn how to beat that level now, you know, so to speak. And then sometimes you just kind of, you just kind of feel like, ah, should I have stayed at level one? If two is hard, like, and then it's like, no, it's hopefully you're playing the game because you do want to get better because it's all about the journey, isn't it? Like you want to keep going, hopefully. Yeah, she's actually back on this season because she did her last podcast in the end of 2019. So we're talking about everything that changed for her from then till now, which is super fun too. And I love when she does that analogy and she's like, yeah, and then you get to level two and then you die and then you die and then you die. And it just feels like yep. that's it, right? Yep. So I lis listening back on your last episode, you talked about how the pilot season before booking Kung Fu, you had had three network tests. And so- it was a little less crazy to you when you're signing a deal memo. You're like, yeah, 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 I know. You had had those reps in your back pocket at that point. You had done some of the work and felt how it felt, right? It didn't feel as crazy. Absolutely. Familiarity or rather training for that familiarity as much as you can is just so invaluable. You know, it's like any sport or any activity, like you do it for the first time. It's terrifying. But as you do it, like even one or two more additional times, you're already kind of like, oh, wait, I I've been in this room. These jitters are familiar. This adrenaline dump is familiar, like all that kind of stuff. It just helps. So, I mean, that's why like pressure testing yourself. It's not a bad thing at all to have to do self-tapes on short turnarounds because that does happen often. So as much as we want to curse about it and kick our feet about it and be like, ah, oh, shit, I only have eight hours. What the hell is that? Why do my agents screw me over like that? And it's like, no, but like, that's a real thing, you know? And like, that's what, as an aspiring professional actor, that's part of the game. You know what I mean? What are you going to do when you get on set? And then the writer hands you the adjustments, you know, like right before you walk on. I was going to say, how much has that happened? You're going to call your agent and, and complain about it right then? Or are you going to use those precious five minutes to learn the changes, you know? And th thankfully that hasn't happened to me, at least not yet on my show, but like, Tiny little tweaks, rather, but like I won't get, we won't ever get like full brand new rewrites all of a sudden. So that's an extreme case scenario. That doesn't happen very often. Hopefully not. Yeah. I feel like that's a very sitcom thing to do. <laughs> it can be. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've definitely, I've listened to an actor's podcasts where they're talking about last minute changes, especially for like multicam stuff like that, or like in the SNL capacity where it's a constant workshop. Like I operate with a lot of fear at a lot of different times for different kinds of things. For example, I like knowing that something is kind of set and then leaving a little room for change as opposed to knowing that, holy shit, the rug might get ripped out from under you because somebody hates the color of the rug. You know, like... That could happen. You just have to be ready to dance. You have to stay light on your feet and be ready to move. Oof. Let's talk about the changes of your day-to-day -day life. I would love to hear about what a day in your life right now is looking like because you're actively filming right now, right? Yeah. Like anyone <laughs> who has been asked that question, I think my day-to-day, -day, it really changes. 
day to day. I'll describe yesterday because I was on set yesterday. It was a very long, full day of filming for everybody in the episode. Huge group scenes, tiny moments of scenes within a larger scene. So the director even said on set, he's like, guys, think of it as like a series of miniature scenes put together. And then we just put it all together in the edit, right? Some of my castings were up at 3.30. They have some of them had like 5 a.m. call times. I had a later call time at 7, 12 a.m. So I got to sleep in. You know what I mean? Like 7, 12 is so specific. 7, 12 <laughs> was my call time. So I set my alarm for 5.55. So that was me sleeping in yesterday. And I actually had hands down the easiest work day out of everyone because of just the way the scenes were set up and designed. I was in the green room with my castmates and you could see the wheels are coming off and people are starting to get a little loony by the end of the day. But I used that time. To, I talked to my accountant while I was waiting and on my downtime because I still have some paperwork to do regarding my taxes. Like the irresponsible adult that I am. I went in, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I get it. I, saw, I tell actors all the time, like the times when you're like on set constantly are not going to be the times where you're the best example of a best friend or when you have your schedule 100%. Like you're never going to be able to give all of your attention to all of the things at the same time. It's really hard to file this under lies we tell ourselves, thinking I'm going to read a book in between setups. I've never been able to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've carried a book with me <laughs> and it has been merely just a wee bit of extra weight in my little shoulder didn't bag. Didn't work out. No, it didn't work out. Lies. Lies. We tell ourselves. <laughs> That's me. I do know people who do read. What do you do? If I'm not like going over the dialogue or like running it with my castmates or whatever, or like, or if I don't, if I'm not talking shop with like the writer who's on set about something or the director about something, or like say going over a piece of fight choreo or something like that, then I'm probably doing something kind of mindless. Like I'm probably doom scrolling on my phone like an idiot. Like I'm trying to do like low capacity things to just to stay loose and, you know, or like I'm hanging out like this year, our leading lady, Olivia, she said, she's like, I want to make more of a concerted effort to hang out with people on set and just, you know, absorb and appreciate where I am. I was like, that's actually a great idea because it's so easy to just go back in the green room and fuck off unless you need to, unless you need to prepare and like work on your stuff and you like need that quiet time to yourself, whatever your process is and, and you will find it. And, and that's always something that gets, that's always evolving. That's, that's fine. I'm not talking about that stuff, but like we really enjoy being at work. So I like standing over next to Video Village and peering over the DP shoulders and looking at what kind of shot is being set up and how they're lighting it. And like, there's so much that I don't know yet. So there's more of that. That and cursing at the Wordle. I'm doing a lot of that too. Oh my God, you do the Wordle. Ugh. I do. Every day. Every day. I'm not a word puzzle person. I don't do crossword puzzles. I don't do Sudoku. I didn't grow up playing Scrabble. Bananagram is crazy. I love that game, but I can't. You need a group of people for that one at least. So, so I do Wordle. Ugh. My husband does Wordle. And I told him, uh, he kept telling me about it. And I was like, listen, you get three things for me to share your enthusiasm about per day. Do you want this to be one of them? <laughs> he was like, no. Can I ask what those three things are? He gets to pick per day. So he can be like, I finished this script. I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, so exciting. Or he's yeah. like, I hit this on my back squat. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Or like, I made this for dinner. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's not like, do you want this to be one of them? And he's like, no. <laughs> But I, okay, let me sell you on Wordle, ready? You only get one per day. So as addicted as you might be, you can't do it more than once. But what if you don't like words? Like I literally hate spelling. I hate all of it. And the words that I'm seeing them use are not- That makes you better at it. There was a word that was like a type of bird the other day, Eddie. I'm not, I can't- Okay, this is this is one of the worst days of my life. There was, was one day that the Wordle was watch. And I texted my castmate and friend Olivia that I didn't get watch. And she knows that like I'm a bit of a watch guy. And she was off somewhere else with her own friends. And she told me that when I texted her that I didn't solve it that day, that I lost and I didn't get the word watch, she gasped out loud. She went, <gasps> and everybody's like, what, what? And she goes, and you didn't get the word. And her friends are like, Liv, you fucking idiot. Don't ever, what is wrong with you? So like you have someone who matches your enthusiasm. So like you're good. You have a Wordle person. All right. Which brings me to my next point. It is so <laughs> important to have a good support system. <laughs> Wait, God, do you want to take, you're like hosting. You're doing such a good job bringing us back on track. Sam, let me ask you about the time that you found. Let me, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait, but actually though, now that you've been with your castmates for so long, does it change the flow of set? And also when you have co-stars and guest stars, people coming in for like one or a couple days, does that change the flow on set? 
It can, usually for better. And then sometimes like through no fault or no doing of the guest that's there for the day, like we might have something that's going on in our own lives or whatever, and it might make us a little less talkative or whatever, but we really do try to be very welcoming to the guests that come in. We try to at least say hello, hi, thank you for being here, or just introduce our names or whatever. Like you never know what's kind of going on that's crazy that day. Like there are days where we just have like a team of extra people, like stunt performers. They come in and we have to do a giant group melee fight scene, you know. And there's so much noise and so many ongoings around you that it's hard to find the nice human connection moments. But we just had a nice long day out in the woods a couple weeks ago and there was mosquitoes everywhere in the morning and it was hot as hell. And thankfully we were in the shade and, you know, it's just one of those days where we joke around in between and thankfully everyone is nice. I can't emphasize enough that as good as it is to be a talented actor, it really is important to be someone who's nice to be around. That goes a long way. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I interrupted your day on set. So we're in between shots. You're playing Wordle. You're scrolling. You're hanging out with your crew. You wrap your day. Yeah, I got to nap in my trailer, which was nice because I got to escape the antics of my coworkers. They were sort of terrorizing each other in the green room. They were like scaring each other to wake up and all these other things. And I wasn't needed like right after the lunch break. So I just stayed in my trailer and like I was like, nobody's coming to get me. I'm going to text one of the ADs and ask if they need me yet and they said nope you're good so i closed my eyes for like an hour that was great let's see what else is like a regular day sometimes i'll if i'm not shooting i'll go to the stunts gym and learn the fight choreo for an upcoming fight i don't work every day like olivia does she's there like every fucking day pretty much it's a lot it's a lot it really is she's there the vast majority of the time it's very infrequent that she actually gets a whole day off and if she is off from filming then she's required at stunts because she has to learn the next thing that's coming on yeah do you have a schedule they give you like these are the days that you're going to train for the next choreography for the next stunt days do they give that time thing to you or do you just kind of go on your own it's not set. It's it's more like as they break each script, there's different departments, right? So like the stunts department will read it. Every head of department gets the draft as it comes, but the cast won't because there's things that need to be finalized. There's things that people need to look at and they're like, wait, we can't secure this location. Oh, wait, we can get that location. For the first two years, I don't know about now this year as much, but definitely it was a factor in the first two years where they'd be like, whoa, this restaurant looks amazing for this scene. Oh, wait, how many people in the scene? Eight? Nope, COVID, you can't. And we have to lose this. We can't use that. So that happened a lot. Have you had a little bit less of that lately? It hasn't felt like as much of a factor. Things have lightened up a little bit in terms of just like the testing protocol and things like that. But like, it almost makes you mad in the sense of like how much money the production had to spend on COVID things, which let me be clear. We're really grateful that they did because it kept us running. And when people get sick, that's a bad thing. And also, if you're talking just the production side of things, you could shut down and then you'll lose even more money. I'm just talking about dollars at this point. I'm not even talking about the importance of all the other stuff, obviously. But yeah, a lot more money than we realized was going into COVID safety procedures. And you're just kind of like seeing how much everyone around you is pouring into making this the best that they can. And seeing everyone at every level is just kind of strapped for time, money, resources, regardless of how big the production is. Like everyone feels that on every level. You know, we're a studio production. We're produced by a major studio at a network. So it's like, that's a very universal challenge is what I'm trying to say. But to answer your question about the schedule, it's just kind of as it comes. I just found out recently that I have a stunt rehearsal tomorrow morning, you know? So when that happens, like it is a day off for me. So I just had to like change some personal appointments. I haven't seen my chiropractor. I do have a personal trainer that I go to outside the gym to do my conditioning because it's like hard to do it on my own. It's hard to go to the stunt gym and get conditioned because I have to keep a certain level of performance like ready to go and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you that because I know that was something you used to do, but in terms of like the level you have to be at now to maintain your fitness for on camera, you have to have like pretty muscles and you have to have like functional muscles. And so it's a different beast, right? <sighs> It is a different beast. When I was a little younger, this was it still is a very desirable position to be in, you know? It was just a little bit more like, it came a little bit more easily when I was under 30. You know, it, you have to prioritize. It wasn't until this year, actually, that I started going to a trainer. It kind of just came down to like, oh, our stunts team is a little bit smaller and leaner this year because of budget cuts and things like that. We don't have an ample amount of people who can help me do accessory training. During season one, I could go in the gym and like one of the guys would happen to be free and we would go through like Taekwondo kicking drills because my kick 
fix I know are something I always have needed work on. I still need work on. But now this year, looking at the set pieces and the stuff that they have to actually work on, I'm just kind of like, you know what? It's totally cool. Like, I don't have to burden any of my teammates and these guys with that responsibility. So I'm like, there's a gym around the corner for me. Like, I just go right there. It's fine. And then like in the first few episodes of the season, I just didn't have as many work days. So I did have a little bit more downtime. During this hiatus, I was just so busy taking care of adulting. All the things that I put off during season two and I was like, you know, going to doctor's appointments. You know, I was like, I wasn't feeling very healthy for a long time. Like there was nothing wrong with me per se, but I wasn't feeling good. There was like a lot of self-care. Oh, by the way, guys, getting a full night's sleep very often is a very good thing for you. In case you didn't know. (laughs) Something I'm talking to a lot this season with guests is downtime. What is that? Do you you know this thing called actor downtime? I don't know if you're familiar. I I don't know. You're going to have to. Yeah, I missed that Let me walk you through it, Eddie. (laughs) So it sounds like, too, your day-to-day when you are filming, although you're not filming every single day, there is things for you to be doing. There's stuff to work on. There's somewhere to work, whether it's like physically, mentally, et cetera. There's things to be doing. And I know you also have PR stuff in between. So, for example, on a hiatus, when you say like you're taking care of adult shit, What do you do in your downtime? What do you take care of? This year was like, I visited family on the East Coast twice. So that occupied a lot of time and energy and focus. I do have a lot of extended family outside Toronto in Markham. And there was a nice special event that I went to. It was like a reunion in a lot of ways because I saw a lot of extended family there. And it was a cultural conference. It was was a really cool thing to be a part of because I got to connect with a lot of people of my heritage, which has been kind of hard growing up in the States and like just not being around as many. You could be Italian, but you know, if you're Sicilian though, like there aren't as many of you. A good friend of mine, he's Filipino, but he's specifically from the islands in the middle region, uh, Visaya. So when I see him bump into someone outside who is Filipino, but speaks Visayan, it's this like, holy shit moment. Oh my God, you too. And that's kind of what it is for me being a Hakka Chinese person. Like when I come across somebody like that, it's like, oh wow, like this is cool. So that's what the event was. And I went to that and like, I, had to, I wanted to buy a suit. I had to plan my flights and organize that. And I had to like see when I was going to possibly film this indie project. And then we ultimately didn't, we shelved that until this upcoming hiatus. So it was like a lot of details and a lot of things like that. And then also like setting up for, season three finding a place to live and all that kind of stuff did you come back to LA and then come back to Canada between seasons yeah yeah I still live in LA I still even have my apartment there LA is still home like I move here for the amount of time that it takes to do the thing and then we always go back to where we came from and you said self-care too in your downtime with something yeah it wasn't until just a few years ago that I started actually like because I was always just so busy and just so broke the idea of like doing something like getting a massage was like an exorbitant luxury that I just couldn't justify doing. And then I started taking fighting for camera classes a few years ago, like a couple years before I got Kung Fu actually. So all that stuff was super helpful. But I found that my neck was having problems. When you react to taking hits, you're snapping your neck and you're reacting. It just takes such a toll on your body. I was pulling my neck a lot. So there was a lot of scar tissue back there. And to this day, it's still an issue. Oh, and that's another thing I do on my off days. I'm going to my chiropractor and I just started this thing called shockwave therapy. What is that? It is an instrument. It looks like he's holding like a flashlight almost. He's holding it onto your affected region or the injured site. And it's sending shockwaves to break up the scar tissue. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's not comfortable. Like, for example, like a lot of dancers, right? Scar tissue where in the hips. That is to the middle of the body. So that's harder to reach for the shockwaves. Therefore, how effective it is depends on where the injury is, how deep it is into the body, how old the scar tissue is. So this is something I just heard of. And I'm like, I'm doing this action show and like there are days where I'm just like sitting and all of a sudden it just feels like this thing is pulling and I have to deal with that you know and so it's a constant thing that I have to consider in my day-to-day life especially when it comes to doing like the action pieces and stuff like that so I carry a massage therapy gun oh yes mm-hmm. yes I have one yep. right here that's great <laughs> Yeah. Like it's my TV watching device. Yep, I have one of those. I carry like a little ball and I'm, I'm often the guy who's seen on set walk around just gunning myself or gunning others if they so wish. If they play their cards right, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll do it for them. It's, <laughs> that's a nice, it's, there's lots of attachments. Yeah, so self-care, I think that goes under all that stuff. One thing that I did notice when I started this job was like how much more focus and how much more effort you need to take in investing in your 
self-care physically, emotionally, mentally. Oof. When we started in the fall, like after we got picked up and when we finally moved to Canada for the first time at the peak of COVID, I mean, this was pre-vaccines. This was, the world was fucking terrifying, right? Uh, it still was. And, you know, I was going through a lot of stuff mentally. In addition to like the fact we're all away from our loved ones, our significant others, we couldn't visit our families until Christmas, just that one time, you know? And then like, just like a healthy dose of like imposter syndrome and survivor's remorse. I was like, wait, I have this job and my friends back home are like, really, everyone is struggling at every level. Like that was, there's a lot of like things that balance in that sort of way. And then like every reporter, as we started to get ready to premiere the show, it's like finally the news started to cover like the spike in Asian hate crimes. And then people are like, what's it like to represent an Asian American family? And I'm just like, this is way heavier than I ever expected this to be. Like all of a sudden there's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of very solemn awareness about what you're doing for something that should be fun and should be entertaining and you, you know we, we we pendulum back and forth between this is an honor this is a very serious privilege that many would want to be in and at the same time like looking at what we do on the show i'm like wait don't forget guys this is supposed to be fun too this is entertaining as well you know there's that aspect to it i mean the idea of booking a fun cw show your brain never goes like i'm gonna become a figurehead of a moment in history during a really hard time like how did you deal with that was it a combination of like therapy meditation journaling like what did you do to take care of your in the time in which the pressure was on to be good at your job and then also to represent a group. Going back to the topic of the ebb and flow of how like some days you have it and some days you don't, like I think that I eventually did come to grips on like, we have this beautiful responsibility to entertain and to to represent to an extent. We're definitely not saying we represent all Asian American families. That would be, you know, we're, we're just trying to represent this Asian American family by being true to ourselves. And we found that like no one entity can represent everyone at all times. That's just not fair. It's just not... That's not the way that it has to be. So we recognize all these things that people are saying about this and that and everything that, about that in the news. And we knew that the best way that we could do what we want to do was to honor those things and be true to ourselves. And the more true to ourselves that we stay, that's how you best represent yourself, especially within the community. Because really what is profound for other people to see is seeing you embrace yourself. That is a very ironic. How do you get around this blockade of worry and judgment and responsibility and the questions of what is supposed to be? You kind of have to just run right fucking through it. It's at times scary. It creates, again, a lot of imposter syndrome. But, you know, we just found that that's been the formula that works for us. As we all started to grow within the show, within the product and the characters, we just found ourselves in it and we just try to be true to ourselves. And it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I can't even imagine. And something you mentioned in your previous podcast is that when you first told your parents that you were like, I think I want to be an actor, they were like a little trepidatious about this whole endeavor. How are they feeling about it right now? Oh, God, they are over the moon and they won't shut up about it. <laughs> and I mean that in the most loving way. Like my dad pimps out the show to all of his customers and all of his friends know. And oddly enough, he was the one who showed the most trepidation about me wanting to be an actor because he was just scared. Yeah, I do remember talking about this. Like my dad was just worried. Like any parent who wants their kid to do well and be well and know that their kid can fend for themselves. I think for any parent to hear that their kid's going to enter a field where your success percentage or your success rate is not guaranteed and that their kid is going to have to face a lot of rejection is it, scary for a parent. So it took me a while to mature and embrace that and identify like, oh, yeah, my dad was worried about me. It's not that he wasn't being supportive. He moved here to the States in the 80s, you know, and he's been consuming American media just like everyone else. And he sees like, listen, there aren't a lot of Asians on there aren't guys that look like us on TV. You know, he would he would remind me of that. And, and thankfully, with, with something like this, like they don't worry anymore, which is great. <laughs> they don't talk to me with the fear that they carried. They want to know that I'm okay. They want to know that I'm happy in the job. There's a thing I've been talking about a lot, which is like, it's really hard to be what you can't see. And so for you to show your parents and to show so many actors, like, actually, you can be this thing that you didn't necessarily see. And now you're getting to be the thing that kids are seeing. You know what I mean? Like, is that is that trippy? Is that really cool? Like, you're such a good example. Thank you. I yeah, it's it's trippy <laughs> for sure. So concerned. It is. It's well, that goes to the thing of like once you start to really open your eyes and really take in 
what's happening in you and around you to stand still and let things affect you, it can be scary, especially because of the factor of like, I'm always thinking, well, what if it goes wrong? Like, there are so many factors that can torpedo this and send this off the rails. And I have to balance that out. I started this practice of law of attraction, like Abraham Hicks stuff a few years ago that has been I don't I mean, I'm not like I don't journal and like I'm not don't get me wrong. I've, I've charged my crystals a couple of times, but like it's not like an active practice for me. But I got to say, like there are friends who have taught me a lot of really helpful things along the way, one of which you have to ask yourself if you have the capacity to think what can go wrong, you have to balance that with, well, how can this go right? What can go right? It is scary because we're always trying to protect ourselves. Everybody's trying to self-preserve, especially when it comes to disappointment. That's a very strong tendency of mine because what we do is often a gamble or rather a calculated risk in many ways, especially when it comes to art. And I have to remind myself, like, listen, like it's so much easier to be in a trolling comment section poo-pooing something than it is to be partaking and actually doing the damn thing. Only a small percentage gets to actively do it at any given time. That doesn't mean you won't be able to. It just means that there's only a small percentage at the given moment. But when it comes time for your turn, if you're experiencing it the way that I have, it's like I have such a deeper, I mean, I always appreciate it. But even now, like seeing it tangibly through my own damn eyes and through my senses being on set, seeing how much shit goes into pulling this off and what people have to contend with to make a project of any kind get off the ground, a creative endeavor. I just appreciate it so much more. And my judgment is so much different now. And it's not that like I have to like everything or that I have to think that bad things are good. It just means that I appreciate things for what they are. I appreciate the hard work that went into it. It's things like that. And I think especially in the internet era where hating on something is a commodity in and of itself, I think there's a way to be critically constructive. That comes with also being like, oh, I know how to make an objectively strong product. If you're going to criticize something like, Ask yourself, like, how could I make that better? What would I improve upon? What did I catch that? What did I catch that they missed? And then keep it the fuck to yourself. No, I'm kidding. Go to dinner and keep it to yourself. And don't talk very loud in Hollywood because you never know who's sitting next to you. That is true. (laughs) You mentioned another project, like potentially that was maybe during your hiatus and it got pushed. Mm -hmm. How do you balance continuing to pursue an acting career when you're on a show that keeps getting picked up? By the way, Eddie, what a champagne fucking problem we've gotten to. I love this. Thank you. Love it for you. I love it. That was just something that it didn't require a whole lot of like, oh my God, am I going to do this or that? Do I have to pick? I got this script to audition for and looking at the dates, they reached out and they were excited that I could put myself on tape for it. And one of the things that they did say was like, hey, we know Eddie is working on Kung Fu. And, you know, if, if he ends up being the guy, like the dates can fluctuate. There is a window of time. We know that he's working on that thing and that he's contracted to that first. And so it was just a matter of like, we were talking about doing it in spring of 2022. And then we started Kung Fu season three sooner than most of us had really expected because Kung Fu got pulled to the fall lineup instead of the mid-season lineup like we usually did for the past two years. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's really cool, right? But in order for us to make our October 5th premiere, we had to start by July. And so the people behind the film, Chopin is the name of the project. Vincent Lin is the writer-director and that whole team. There's like a few things, like business affair things that still they got to iron out and finish out and stuff like that. And they were like, you know what? It's okay. Like he and I agreed, like we don't want to rush it and do a haphazard job like let's take the signs and take the time that has been afforded to us and we can do it in the spring and like we're great with that because honestly if I had to rush because I was so burnt out I feel like I've been burnt out for like the past two years I'm finally coming out of it but like for me to have done that project and go straight into season three would have been very 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 difficult and I would not have preferred that you know it just goes to show like hey you may not always see the solution directly in front of you, but like, just wait a little bit, keep doing the best you can. And things have a funny way of working themselves out. That's another law of attraction thing that they talk about is you have to adapt the mentality that everything is always going to work out for me. Again, it's very scary to say because you feel like, well, what if it doesn't? That's hard. It's very, especially in a career that constantly, you know, gives you things to think about in the opposite fashion. Are you a baseball fan? I know know you're a Chiefs fan. I'm a Chiefs fan. I don't know a ton about baseball. I'm a Cardinals fan by proxy. Great. Okay. Now, baseball fans are probably the most superstitious of athlete. Every sport depends on a lot of randomness. Every sport is a game of inches. 
baseball in particular, right? Baseball players are the court case in, the, in terms of like their good luck practices and their rituals that they do. Look at like half the batters that go up to bat. Look at what they do. Look at the way they kiss their cross. Look at the way they do the sign of the cross. Look at the way they adjust their gloves or their helmet between every at bat, right? Or they some of them won't step on the the white painted lines on the diamond. Sometimes I feel like we're like baseball players because we're just clinging to every bit of control that we can. And we're so quick to make assessments and judgments because I feel like it's connected to a desire or a craving for the sense of control because so much is out of our hands. You know, it's a, it's a dicey thing to make assumptions and try to make assessments. And, you know, you might sit there and be like, I'm objectively as a working professional trying to make the best assessment I can to make the best decision I can about the thing, right? But also, there is always so much more going on that you don't know than is happening. And so I've had to adopt healthier mindset practices to help me navigate this industry, you know, especially at a time when, like, well, when I told you about how I tested for those three pilots, like that knocked me on my ass. Like after that pilot season was over, that was really, truly difficult. I definitely had a lot of self-doubt. I would ask myself, like, am I cut out for this? Am I cut out to excel to the next video game level? Or am I going to stay at this video game level, the current one, for way longer than I want to? And I knew, I looked at the circumstances surrounding, particularly Pilot 3, which was an ABC pilot. I didn't get the role. I heard it was like maybe like the second choice. And I just knew in my heart that the reason I didn't get it was because that guy was a name and I wasn't because I was like a nobody, a no name. By the way, nobody told me that. I decided that is what I, that was my best assessment that I can make at the time. Then I was a reader for the network a few weeks later for something. And I happened to be friends with somebody in the office. And she was sitting in on some of those sessions when I was testing. And we talked about that. I was like, yeah, that was really fun. You know, it was a, it was a bummer, but like, how's it going? And she was like, it didn't go. It didn't get picked up because it just didn't work. I was like, what happened? The script was so damn funny to me when I read it. And she's like, yeah, sometimes like a well-written thing just doesn't translate on camera for a bajillion different reasons. I thought it was going to go. It didn't. And then I asked, because we were cool, right? I was like, hey, person to person here, like friend to friend, like, is this why I didn't get it? And I said, why? And she's like, no. That's not, that's not true at all. Excuse me for a moment for sounding like an awful, humble brag. I say this to speak out to the people who think they know what's going on. And turns out that the reason is not at all what they thought. In fact, it's very ironic because I said, that guy's more famous, right? She said, no. The showrunner said, you're too hot to play that role. If we get picked up, she was going to write you in as a recurring thing. You give you your own storyline. I said, what the fuck? I had no idea. So talk about not knowing what the fuck I'm talking about is my point. <laughs> and also, it might have sucked more to know that information because then you'd be like, oh, wait, there's still hope. And then the show didn't even go. So it's exactly. like, what level of that do you even want to know? It's a very dicey thing to make assumptions about things, to make judgments about yourself and the things and the people around you based off of very, very little to no information. Now, people say, oh, you're entitled to your own opinion. Yes. But when it comes to making decisions about things, and this is something that I'm still contending with, in fact, a lot of things that I'm talking about with you today and talking about the ebb and flow and like some days I got it, some days I don't. Lately, in the past couple of years, there are a lot of things that I really feel like, oh, I don't got it. This needs work. I need help on certain things, right? And I think that whatever you pursue, whatever judgments you want to make about something, you got to ask yourself, how expensive is it to think that way about something? What is it costing me to think this way? Because there are times when people like, you know, you make a snap judgment about yourself. You're like, I'm too this. I'm too untalented. I'm, I don't have enough credits. And it's like, that's the reason why I didn't get the job. Or they're only casting this type of ethnicity or sexual orientation or whatever. And sometimes, like I said, going back to my story, like sometimes we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. No, a lot of times we don't know what we're talking about in that sense. And I, I ask sometimes I'll, when I hear my friends venting about issues like that, I'm just kind of like, do you want to be right? Like, if you knew the, that the answer is behind door number one, like, do you want, are you okay with being right about this based off your possibly incorrect assumptions about this thing? So I guess if there's a healthier path to that, it's like, all right, do I dump this backpack and go pick up the lighter one and just, can I, can I invest my time more effectively doing something else? Oh, I love that. I love that. Can I dump this backpack and pick up a lighter one? God, I love that so much. Wow. Up in the air. Oh, is that what that's from? Kind of. Well, he uses it in a very different context, but I use it in the context of, of baggage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people choose to 
have their baggage sometimes. Don't get me wrong, there's real baggage, but like sometimes it becomes a choice. Yeah, especially as actors, like we tend to put something on ourselves and carry it around for long periods of time. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're artists, we're creatives, we're, we're romantics. It's so easy to latch on and be like, this is my pain. Let me show you what I'm going through. This is the human experience I'm sharing. And that's not a bad quality in and of itself because that creates art. But again, how expensive is it for you to do that? Yeah. Are you actively auditioning when you're not filming? Are you active auditioning when you are filming? How does that work? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You did bring that up. Yeah, season one, I had more auditions, especially as we got to around our first holiday break and going towards the end of the season, because that's when feature film season starts up, usually during the summers and the springs and stuff like that. My castmates and I, we've definitely helped each other out with tapes. We'll bop over to each other's apartments and like, I got good lights here. And, you know, one time Olivia had to audition for like a cop and like she was driving the patrol car and we didn't know how to do that. We don't have like our own self-tape studios. We're here away without our regular operating capacity. So I had her sit on her suitcase and she pulled up the luggage handle and that was her steering wheel, which was out of frame. Great. Perfect. Perfect. So there are some days when I, I know I just said like, there are a lot of times I feel like I don't have it all together. And then there are moments like that where I'm like, I fucking, I'm so fucking good mm -hmm. at this. So good at directing my friend's tapes. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I can't help myself with shit right now, but I can help my friend's tapes. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah, season two, no, I didn't audition as much. Oh, and then I did audition for that film that I ended up getting. I auditioned for this very cool NDA style audition that I had a director session callback for. By the way, that was the one, the showrunner for that pilot that, that didn't go, where she did really like my read. It was the same showrunner. She remembered me. See, that's the thing. That's like literally the thing. That's the whole thing is to just like keep going and meeting the same people and doing your thing and getting better. And like, that's the thing. Yeah. Here's another reason why I kind of miss in-person auditions is because I, I did end up making a lot of connections. Like in the time that it took for me to level up into reading regularly for guest stars and series regulars. So this is around like 2018, 2019, like right before 2020 hit, right? I got to the point where I'd go into waiting rooms at casting offices and I would delight in saying hi to the casting director who knew me at that point. And we were like, cool. Some of them were like, I've hung out with like as friends outside of work. And I couldn't help but notice. I'm like, wait a second. If I was sitting outside that room right now in the waiting room, hearing me schmoozing with this casting director and I was myself, let's say five years younger, five years less experienced, I'd be so fucked in the head. I'd be so intimidated by that. Yeah, you'd hate you. I would hate me. I would. And also, like, I'm not, I wasn't really trying to do anything wrong, but I was also kind of like, oh, I would have played mind games with myself, with my younger self. How many of those roles did I get, by the way, where I was like, oh, I'm schmoozing with the cast director because I know them? I didn't get most of, like, the vast majority you don't get. Yeah, and it's funny that you say schmoozing, but you're probably like, hey, man, what's going on? How are you? No, I was honestly saying hi to my friends. That was really what it was. Exactly. Just being a human. Just being a human. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but that really goes a long way. I think there's a lot of desperate, holly, weird energy that is easy to and sexy to grab onto. And I think too many people like liken it to La La Land when it's, it's just not like that on a daily basis. It's just everybody's trying to go about their day. and It doesn't need to be that romantic. In fact, if you make it as precious as that, it's probably not conducive because then you build it up to be this monster in your head about like, it has to be this or nothing at all. Boom or bust, right? There's an episode this season with a writer named Ian Weinreich and he talks about, he was like, man, I wish that they would have rewritten La La Land. And in the end, she wasn't like this big famous household name, but instead she was stuck on like some network sitcom for like the 12th season. And like that would be the true actress success. She's like up and down and then she gets end up like doing this job that she's just like mediocrely okay with. Like, right. She was like that I wish would have been the end. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've definitely had arguments and conversations with myself and with friends and things like that about the grass is greener complex. We think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side based on pictures, based on reading about it, based on other people's Instagrams. But you don't know, it might actually be AstroTurf. Sometimes the grass is greener where you water it. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ultimately decide that something no longer serves you and that you do need to leave it for something better. There's that part of it too. But you have to be able to discern the difference and that's everyone's individual journey. Well, and it's, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here and do my co-star auditions and my occasional guest audition and look at you and be like, oh, I want that. I want exactly what he has. I want that life. But there's a potential that you can also be sitting in your life and look at a big show on a different network with different capabilities and say like, oh, I want that. 
And like, at what point do we get it? It's human nature, isn't it? It's human nature. And uh, and, and then I, I guess at risk of sounding like an ungrateful asshole, I really want to be as clear as I can on this. Yeah. I've talked about how grateful I am to have my job. I've talked about what this show means to me, to my entire team, like castmates and the crew that does this. Like we fucking love being here. I've also talked a little bit about some of the shit I was going through mentally, physically over the past few years. And here's what came as a bit of a, not a shock, but I remember that it was a very profound thought when I had this and when I thought these words in this order, which was getting the thing that you wanted for so long is not a magic pill for happiness. It just isn't. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm not poor for the first time in my life. I'm working on something that I am really excited to do. I'm working with people that I love and we're doing something fun and cool. And doing something you wanted to do when you were a kid, when you were running around your living room, like playing Power Rangers. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, as a grown adult, I'm having the thought of, oh, this has not solved everything in my life. What's happening here? And so the thought was, it's not that these things actually don't make me happy. Instead, it's I have to put further work into my own happiness and well-being. I have to do other things as well. I have to live a full life outside of this. I have to find an identity outside of my job. Acting shouldn't have to define all of you. And I mean, all of you out there, I mean, like all of you as a being. And that's something that I'm still finding. You know what I mean? It's like some days are, like I said, some days are easier. Some days I'm like on a freaking cloud. You know, there's some days I'm doing like a fight scene. I'm looking around and it's insane. There's bodies flying everywhere. There's shit knocked over and somebody has to come and reset that whole damn thing. And we only were given three hours to shoot this fight. And it's a circus right now, but I fucking love this, you know? And then there are other days I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, What's happening right now? Like I said, heaven flow. Yeah. What I want to highlight about this process is not just one, thank you for being so honest about that, but two, that actors who are sitting at home right now or listening in their car and are driving to their like fifth job or their second shift or their whatever. And they're just like, ugh, I don't know. I've been there. I get it. Yeah. You and me both. And we're just like, I just don't know what else to do. I don't know if there's anything else I could be working on. There's a lot of stuff you can work on that doesn't also need to be done in like an acting class. Everything you're saying doesn't have to do with necessarily the craft or your headshots or your agents or managers. It's like, the life work of mindset and continual pursuit of happiness of being a person. Exactly. So perfectly well said. I totally understand that there are some things that you want to do. Maybe it's like learning a new skill or like embracing a whole new hobby that's just not acting related. And those things cost money. That's a real thing. Like I totally get it. It doesn't even have to be learning a skill. Just do something that makes you happy. Watch a thing that makes you laugh. Like watch other humans in a park. Or at an Erewhon. I don't know. Like, don't buy anything there if you can't, because that shit's like $20 for a smoothie. But like... It's good people watching. I went to a Motley Crue concert this weekend. Great people watching. <laughs> you went to a Motley Crue concert? Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard, and Joan Jett played at SoFi Stadium. Shut up. Wait, where did they play? SoFi. Not great acoustics. I would have guessed that, actually. I saw Motley Crue and Def Leppard when I was 19 years old at Jones Beach in Long Island back in like 2006. <sighs> My God. Yeah. They might have been a little better than they were. This <laughs> I think the acoustics are just tough. The acoustics of a stadium are tough, but tough. the people watching was a 10. Yeah. And it was just, it had nothing to do with anything. It was just an enjoyment thing. And I think sometimes we deprioritize that in lieu of feeling like we checked a box of our career. Yeah. And if you feel like you're struggling with living a fuller life and, you know, because I get it. Like I've seen firsthand just how hard things have been. Like a lot of close friends of mine, a lot of family stuff, a lot of personal business of mine over the past couple of years have been very, very challenging, right? But yeah, finding a community, finding people that help you connect to the best version of yourself. I have an acting buddy of mine who I only see, I only get to see him once in a while. But like when I do, like I instantly feel so much better. And then I worry, I was like, oh my God, am I a vampire for like wanting to be near him? <laughs> you know, like- Like an energy vampire. Energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, is that me now? Am I one of those guys? But like, you know, he's an absolute sweetheart and he always has nothing but loveliest things to say to me. Are there any resources that you've used to really work on this? You said there was some people or are there podcasts? Are there anything that you've utilized to 
help with mindset or help you get with work on your happiness and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are these beautiful people in Burbank, the Law of Attraction meetup group there where my manager introduced me to them some years ago now. And I haven't been able to go because I'm usually here. And then now when I go home to LA, if I can drop it, I'll go. Are they still doing them? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you the info on that. But for those of you who like don't live anywhere near Burbank or LA, don't worry. Look up Abraham Hicks. I thought it was a toxic positivity cult when I first heard about it. And, that, and you know, toxic positivity is a thing. And you don't want to be gaslit for just being a naked Nancy when you are, in fact, going through real issues that you need to solve like that's you know i'm never gonna be dismissive of that so these people like this group they equipped me with putting on the right mental armor and having the right tools in my mental toolbox as far as navigating an industry that again no guarantees there's so much going on that i don't know there's so much happening behind the curtains you know like the wizard of oz is doing the thing over there and i'm still crawling down the yellow brick road trying to find the answers right and that has been very helpful. Uh, and I think that you should be able to vent. You should be able to have your support system and your therapist and your family and your partners who you can open up to about how you're feeling about a thing. Like in movement class back in acting school back in the day, like I remember my movement teacher, Ted, talked about how like any emotion that you don't process through you is going to get stuck in your body. And think of how ugly or not even ugly, like that sounds like I'm being judgmental, but think of how extreme, think of how hurtful, think of how hard it is to carry some of the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings that we have. Now think about that living inside of you day in and day out. And you have to find a way to move that out, process that out, let it flow through you. It's not that you can't ever think this way. It's what you do about it. And like, okay, if you're going to be judgmental about something, like ask yourself why you think that way. Ask yourself what you think it is that you saw, right? And I mean, that goes to more like a very macro, like human existence kind of thing. But I do find it, it has been very helpful for, for the industry. I have a lot of colleagues, peers, some friends who are better at complaining about the job than they are at doing the job. And I think that it's a dicey thing. It's a place you don't want to get to, right? You have to kind of be like, you know, hire me. I'm castable. I'm ready for something. And then there were so many times when I thought I was ready for something and looking at who did end up getting cast, looking at the final product and seeing that thing on screen when it finally did and, and looking at where I was at. And I've looked back at some of my old self tapes and just been like, I just wasn't ready. That's perspective though. It takes a while to get to that point, I think. Yeah. And that's just, you just have to be that pro athlete that gets in the gym and just works on all aspects of the game or like learning what they specialize in. If you're a football player, not everyone can punt the ball and not everyone can throw the ball. Man, lots of sports and fitness references today, Eddie. I like that we've rounded out to like a full that's circle. That's, that's, just, that's how it rolls. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is, yeah. this has been so great. I feel better being in this room right now, even though there's no air conditioning. Do you have any routines for coming off of set? And like, taking off your character hat for the day? I literally have to clean my face every day, take off my makeup, because that shit is not good to go home with, because I, I have sensitive skin. Sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> makeup yeah. yeah. So using your makeup wipe, microwaving a, a hot towel, I mean, not too hot so it burns you. Guys, for the fellows who are not up on skincare, let me tell you how important it is to take care of your skin. Have a regimen. Ask your friends. Look it up. I guarantee you're going to have at least one person in your life who's happy to help you with this. Hot towel, lotion, that sort of stuff. Let's see. I don't really need to do anything to get out of character in terms of like that happens to be this job and this production in and of itself. Yeah, I was going to say your character doesn't really seem like a, a tough person to not be. Yeah, it's he's I'm my castmates make fun of me for this. I'm way too much like my character. Sometimes it's not embarrassing, but I get teased a lot about it. It's cute. It works. I mean, when yeah, I saw yeah, him, yeah. I was like, um, oh, of course, this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? This just came to mind. I spent a lot of time talking about how hard some of the job is, but I do want to talk about a couple of really amazing perks of the job. Like I've been able to see and do a lot of cool shit and like meet people that I haven't been able to before. And that's like all like offset sometimes. What do you mean? During this past hiatus, I asked my stunt coordinator, Andrew, I said, hey, give me something to work on because I only have like a finite amount of time to like get better at things and train. Like, what should I do on my own? I said, I know my kicks need to be better. I know I need to work on this. I know I need to work on this. And he said, don't worry. When you come back, we have the guys who can help you with those things because I talked to him about how I wanted my character's fighting style to grow and evolve and be less polite and be grittier and be more hard hitting and maybe a little meaner if possible, but like where it's deserved if I'm fighting a bad guy, right? So we talked about training at Asanto Academy. Dan Inosanto was one of Bruce Lee's best friends. He started teaching decades ago. The man is like just turned 85, 86. Guru Dan, Guru meaning master, if I'm not mistaken, please don't at me. Guru Dan Inosanto is like, bless him. He's 86 years young. He is a living fucking legend. He's still at it and he's 
still teaching at a school. And I went to learn Silat, Filipino martial arts, Jeet Kune Do. I was trying to bring a flavor of that. Like I geek out about this shit because you eventually start to see the Venn diagram where things start to overlap and you start to see how this style is a cousin from that and how this is actually kind of the same as that. This is a derivative of that. And I nerd out about that, especially because my character, like I had to start learning Wing Chun, which is a style of Kung Fu. And then Silat and FMA and JKD are all interlinked at some point in the history of things. And hearing about why people fought this way is is a part of human history. And it's, it's beautiful. But at the school, I met a guy named Jeff Imada. Jeff Imada... You might recognize his face from a few different things over the years. He's been a lot of big Hollywood things. He's been a stunt performer. And then he is one of the biggest, most legendary fight choreographers, stunt coordinators in the business. And I met him at the Innocent Academy. And he knew what I was up to. He actually doubled my castmate, Tai Ma. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he's like, he told me to say hi to Tai. And then I, I got to show him a clip, like a fight scene from our show. And during season two, we do this library fight. I pitched the idea to like hit this guy with books in my hands, like hit him with a book. And I got that from watching the Bourne Ultimatum. And I don't know who choreographed that fight. I just saw Matt Damon fight this deadly assassin who was sent to kill Matt Damon, or Jason Bourne in that movie. And he hits a guy with a book a few different kinds of ways. And I thought like that moment, and when we talk about like action and talk about moments in cinema, like that's one of the moments that lives rent free in my head. I thought it was the coolest, most simplest because of the guy's resourcefulness. And like, it's, it's part of the character. It's part of the world. And I'm talking to Jeff and I show him the clip and I was like, yeah, you know, I got that idea from Bourne Ultimatum. Little did I know, Jeff says, oh, you know, I, I actually choreographed that fight. And I was like, yeah, shut up. So here I am geeking out. That was just ignorance on my part. I probably should have known that Jeff did do that, honestly. But like, I, you know, it's just there's so many people working on so many. It's hard to keep track. It's hard to keep track sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, he didn't make it weird. I didn't make it weird. But he's like, you know, I, I actually we worked on that. And that was, that was my guys. And I got to thank him for the inspiration. I got to show him what inspired me and like the fact that I was able to actually execute it. Because there are a lot of times when people pitch and bring ideas to things to a production to a show to a movie, and it just doesn't come to fruition for any bajillion reasons that has nothing to do with anything personal at all. But like the fact that this idea like got to come to fruition was like, and I got to like geek out to a legend about it. I'm like, you can't pay for this. You can't. I, I don't know. It was just one of those like moments of like, if my job consists of more shit like this. I mean, it's access, right? Access and connections to people that you just didn't anticipate being a part of your life. But it's cool that you were already like into what they were into. Yeah. And then I got to pitch uh, speaking a few lines of my native Chinese Hakka dialect in the show. And I wanted to do that as a surprise and as like a tribute to like my parents and their family. And they were all over the moon about it. They just couldn't be happier and prouder. And I was like, I don't think anyone's ever spoken this dialect in Western media before. And so that was my little tribute to them. That's cool. Yeah, that was a beautiful thing, beautiful thing that I don't think I could have done on yeah. another show. You know what I mean? So it's like, as much as we love to complain about the business, there's also a lot of cool shit that can happen, you know? And like, I, that was also a lot of me willing it and manifest. But like, don't underestimate your own power as well. Like, there's a lot of things that can come your way if you stay open, if you stay receptive, if you stay light on your feet. And also, well, you talked about how you see it come at you instead of like, it's like the world happening for you, not against you type of thing. That mindset switch that you're talking about is like a really lovely way of incorporating that and seeing those things. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Like I said, there are, are a lot of growing pains, but there's a lot of learning opportunities along the way too. You can't control when it hits you. And unfortunately, sometimes it hits you like in a really bad way. Once you recover from that, you can choose to assign it a lesson. This is so great. I also want to ask you a few questions off air, by the way. Sure. <laughs> so don't go when we wrap. But is there anything you want to direct people to, projects, things you have going on, things we can link in the show notes? What can we do for you? Yes. So Kung Fu Season 3 is coming out October 5th on the CW. Yay! And Season 1 and 2, you can stream without commercial on HBO Max. And if you don't have HBO Max, you can stream it on the CW app. And then I'm really looking forward to shooting Chopin next spring. And that is like the way Vincent and the team were pitching it to investors is like, it's kind of like an Asian American garden state meets the farewell. And I was like, oh, great, cool. Like, I think that's a great description of it. And I'm really looking forward to working on that. And I would just like to signal boost an organization called Be The Match. You can find them on Instagram for sure. I think Twitter is the same handle at Be The Match, and they help match donors, bone marrow donors, to the right recipient because you need the right blood type from non-family members. And this helps leukemia patients. You can cure patients of cancer. You just need to find the right match. Donating marrow is not the same invasive, painful procedure that it used to be. I've read that it's actually a lot easier and probably not painful anymore. If you've ever sat there and 
felt the devastation of the fact that like there's no cure for cancer. There is when it comes to this form. And also if you're in the SoCal region, I was informed that there's a blood shortage. So look it up and find the appropriate place to do it. As of this recording, about two-ish weeks old, if the data has changed as far as like, oh, if all the hospitals are like, oh, we have plenty of blood now, don't worry. Like, Oh, something tells me that, yeah, it's August and I don't think that's going to change. So we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely put it in there. I'm a big fan of Children's Hospital. I go there a lot and give blood actually, so. Amazing. See, I think that like, oh, we're talking about like what can actors do, especially if you're feeling down, if you're feeling like all kinds of ways about our industry. Like that happened to me not too long ago. I was feeling really shitty about the world on a particular day. It made me want to like get up and do something about it. And then my involvement with helping someone with beat the match and it's like, give a piece of yourself. If you can do some good for somebody, like that'll put some things in perspective. Yeah. Oh God. There's no perspective shift like that. Eddie, thank you so much. This was absolutely rad. I've had such a good time talking to you. Sam, thank you so much for having me back. I love talking to you and I love this show. I love what you do. I learned so much from listening to it. It's great, guys. For all you folks out there, listen to Sam. <laughs> if you made it this far, you're in the right place. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. Thank you so much. Thank you.